time we were with Becky, we were at the Mexican restaurant, and uh, she was just pouring her little heart out, just just crying. And I told her, and Wendy told her, said, God's going to put this thing together for you. You just hold on. You be faithful to the Lord. This is not your portion in life. You know, that's easy to say that when I'm sitting by my wife. Uh, and But it's tough to, to swallow when you're on the other side of the table and you're discouraged and depressed and frustrated and feel like God has forsaken you and you can't make connections and and um, walked in here today, amen. Don't he look happy? Look at him smiling. He's just a little butterfly. Look at him. He's happy, huh? He's excited. I, I love to see God put things together. God knows, amen, the devil's torn up apart, right? I love to see God put things together. It's refreshing to be here today and uh, be in family with my church, being here with Wayne. Uh, fantastic joy to be in, in church today with Troy, amen. And uh, it's just, just a blessing to see him come walking in today and uh, see the smile on his face. It's exciting today. I have wrestled with this. Um, if It would be a lot easier if I was going through Friday night with you guys to kind of shake the tree this morning, rock the boat a little bit, throw the plow in the ground, and then you've got several days to come back and kiss all over you and love all over you. But I'm going to challenge you this morning. I had something else on my heart that I, I felt like that I wanted to deal with, particularly this morning. But all week long this week, this thing's been resonating in my spirit. It's something I never preached before, and I've dwelt on it. And, and it being revival season right now concerning the text for the last few weeks, Brother Carol asked me to come. And I want you to say this, and I don't want Brother Carol taking offense to this by no means. He'll, he'll see read between the lines on this. But you have heard for the last three weeks from a pastor's perspective, revival. You, you have heard from his wisdom, you've drawn from his intellect, you've drawn from his experiences in life concerning his perspective of revival. Today you're going to hear it from an evangelistic perspective. The difference between Brother Carroll and Brother Couch is this. Brother Carroll's job is to get you to the promised land. My job is to get you out of Egypt. That's the difference. My job is a little more aggressive. I'm, I'm a little more politically incorrect. I don't dance. I don't have his wisdom. Y'all laughing, but it's the truth. I, I stand intimidated in his shadow. Um, he's a man of wisdom, but because he loves me, I can relax and just be who I am. He knows, he knows I don't dance. I don't, I don't mix words. But today I'm going to challenge you because I feel it's essential. I feel it's necessary. And more than anything, I feel it's the will of God that I lay this thing out today Concerning it from an evangelistic perspective, I've been an evangelist for 22 years, traveling from Africa, all over America, and I see a common problem in every church I walk into. Um, everybody has this same exact situation going on, and it's that nobody wants to pay the invoice for revival. We talk about it, we sing about it, we teach about it, we even preach about it. But why aren't we experiencing it? And don't give me this stuff, well, I'm living in revival right now. No, the truth of the fact of it is, amen, is that when we lay ourselves down beside the church down the street, Victory Fellowship looks pretty good. But if you lay this church down beside the book of Acts, amen, you're in sad shape. And that's the church we need to be comparing to, not the one down the street. So the truth of the fact of it is today, just let me be who I am. Let me do some teaching this morning and some preaching. And I hope today you will just embrace this challenge, wrap your arms around this challenge, Receive this challenge today. Let's submit to it. Let's get this seed in the ground, amen, and let's see what God really brings forth from this. This will be the first time in probably 10 years I've preached from this particular text of Scripture. But this is where the Lord led me this week, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. I know it's generic in the aspect that we hear it all the time. We sing about it all the time. You see it on marquee signs, billboard signs. You see it on T-shirts and bumper stickers. But this is where the Lord led me back to. But I'm going to put a twist on this today. And I'm going to come in in the back door and show you something maybe you've never looked at before concerning revival. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. Somebody say humility. And pray. Somebody say pray. Somebody say seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Finish that off for me. Here's the promise. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now, we all know that. We know that by heart. That's, that's as common to us as John 3.16. But hold on to that. I'm going to show you something in a moment. For years, the opening of the Wide World of Sports television program illustrated the agony of defeat. How many old-timers remember that? 
They don't show that anymore, but in the, in the Olympics, there come this skier down a snowy, snow ramp, and, and he would lift off the ramp, and before he got it, he just wiped out. Skis went everywhere. Bones looked like they were broken. He looked like he got decapitated. They cut out and go into a commercial. But the truth of the fact of it is, the video clip ended in a painful attempting to a ski jump. The skier appeared in good form as he headed down the snowy ski ramp, but then, what seemed to like no apparent reason, he tumbled head over heels, off the side of jump and bounced off the support structures in what seemed to be a fatal mistake. To most viewers, what they never knew was that he deliberately chose to fall rather than finish the jump. Why? He explained later the jump surface had become too fast. And midway down the ramp, he realized if he completed the jump on the course he was on, he would land on level ground, which would prove to be failed at that height. As it was, the skier came out of it only with minor pains, a cut eyebrow, eyebrow, and a torn pinky, a headache from the tumble. To change one's course in life can be a dramatic and painful undertaking, but I would rather endure the temporary sting of change than to experience the fatal wound of a bitter ending. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to say that again. I would rather endure the temporary sting of change than to experience the fatal wound of a bitter ending. The Bible says, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. The word endureth means, amen, more than just keep coming to church. The word endure simply means, amen, to submit, live, and abide in the will of God. The truth of the fact of it is, most of us realize we need change in this room. I can look at some of your faces right now. You look like you're fist and go back to sleep. All right? It's not because I'm boring. It's simply because, amen, life at this point, amen, has become mundane to many of us. Church becomes mundane. Worship service becomes mundane. Preaching, teaching becomes mundane. We realize we need change things in our hearts. Our marriages need change. Our church needs to change. Our attitude when it comes to worship needs to change. Our attitude when it comes to prayer and fasting and sacrifice and even giving. Amen. Our attitude concerning witnessing to the lost. We need a serious change when it comes to church attendance, Sunday school and midweek services. But we aren't really doing anything different to precipitate that change. And really, in reality, that's the root cause of it all. We don't need to excuse it. We don't need to laugh it off. Don't need to brush the dust off our britches or pick our fingernails, we just need to suck up and admit it. The truth is, amen, churches all across America say they want revival. They desire revival. They can't wait to have a revival. For the last 22 years of my life, and I'm 45, half of my life in a pulpit, traveling all over the world, hundreds of churches, all I ever hear is that we need a revival. But that provokes a great problem. Here's the reason. You see, the American church knows very little about the cost that is involved when we finally encounter true revival. As a matter of fact, what we forget and we cry for revival is, watch this, by nature, true revival will destroy everything your flesh lacks. And therein lies the problem. We don't want to change. Because to change simply means, amen, I've got to start working on the things my flesh loves. Brother Carroll throwed it out there a while ago, social media. How many in this room right now would be willing to delete their Facebook, turn their cell phones off, get rid of Fox News on my phone, get rid of eBay off of my phone, get rid of Let Go Offer Up and Craigslist off my phone, and settle for nothing than just the weather station, right? Come on, amen. Amen, in case there's a tornado coming through. Hello. Amen. How many of us would be willing to delete social media in our life, amen, in order to have a revival? We say we will, but we're not preparing ourselves for that. You see, the truth of the fact of it is, amen, it's not a process. Revival is not a process of retraining, redeveloping, restructuring our lives. Oh, no. Amen. Real revival is a twofold process which is made up of two separate components. Number one, crucifixion. Number two, resurrection. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Then right after that, he went on to say, nevertheless, I live. If I'm going to die with him... I want to live with him. But if I can't get resurrected with him, it's because I'm not willing to lay down and die with him. Honestly, we want a resurrection without a crucifixion. And that never produces an effective revival. We wonder why after we've had a series of meetings with a fiery evangelist, why we still don't seem to have any life, any spiritual motivation. It's because in the secular world, we are taught to live and then one day die. But in the kingdom of God, we are taught to die in order to live. Calvary came before Pentecost, and it's still the same today. 
The change that must take place in our lives is that we have to get back to the revelation that in order to experience real revival, for lives to be changed, for the lost to be saved and stay saved, and for the lame to leap, the dumb to speak, and those that have grown blind see again, in order to experience a new chapter and the page be turned, for Victory Fellowship to grow in attendance and maintain growth, and thoughtful Alabama be impacted like never before by this ministry, there's somebody in this place, besides just your pastor, has to be willing to pay the price for the invoice. A new chapter is never free. It's never free of charge, but it's costly. And for that reason, therefore, it's rare. And the reason is, is the price on the invoice. Here it is. We must embrace self-denial, self-abandonment, and self-restrictions we must be crucified with Christ. It's quiet in the house. And these days, when I first started out preaching, man, I didn't mind skinning your hide, amen, tying you up to a tree and leaving you to hang, right? But over the years of doing this, amen, I don't appreciate messages like this. I don't, no more than you do. You know, some things I enjoy, other things I endure. Somebody say amen, right? And this is one of those. We're just not popular. People start looking around. They start doing this. You can tell by their, their body language. You can tell by the look on their face. Amen. They're not interested. They done turned you off. They done checked out. And as preachers, this is not the response that we like. Amen. We love to see people laughing and amen. And we love to hear that hallelujah, that amen. We like to get a hand clap every once in a while. Amen. We, we're building that thing up to a tremendous climax. We want the altars full. When I leave, I want Brother Carol hanging all over me. Amen. Uh, just biting hickeys all over my face. Come on, amen. Just loving all over me and telling me how awesome I am. And when you're preaching something like this, there's not a whole lot of expectation that's going to happen. Huh? Right? I don't like it no more than you do, but it's the truth. And I preach this because you matter to me. He matters to me. Mama matters to me. I mean, the truth of the fact of it is, listen to me, the Bible says he must increase But I must decrease. You know, Abigail couldn't marry David because her old man, Nabal, was still alive. Somebody say Nabal. N-A-B-A-L. Abigail could not marry David because of one reason. The old man was still alive. You know what Nabal's name means? I looked it up in the Hebrew. It means fool. That's what his name means. The truth is, amen, as long as the old man was alive, she couldn't have relationships with the king. But when the old man died, she become the wife of the king. She saw the unveiling of a brand new chapter in her life. I can assure you that a new chapter will have everything to do with relations with the king. And I do mean everything. And the, the foolish part of our life today is our flesh. Come on, guys. Amen. It'll bite at you. It'll go off on you. It'll give you a piece of its mind. Amen. It'll flip you off for getting its parking place at Walmart. Come on. It'll lie. It'll cheat. It'll steal. Amen. It's, it's full of hypocrisy. Amen. It's critical. It's negative. Negative, amen, it's sick, it's dirty, it's perverted. That's the part of me that has to die. And the reason why sometimes we can't have relationships with the king is because the old man's still alive. Come on. Until the old man dies, we can never be in right relationship with the king. And you can't have revival without the king. The truth is, watch this. Can we pull this up, brother? Joshua chapter 18. It's my bad for not giving you that. Joshua chapter 18. Verses 1 through 4, whatever version you want to put that in, whatever you guys are used to, it's going to say the same thing. Thank you, brother. Now, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together to Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there. And the land, watch this, was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, Brother Carol, you're going to love this, which had not yet, watch this, received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, how long are you slack to go possess the land? which the Lord God your fathers hath given you. Give out from among you three men of each tribe, and I will send them, and they shall rise. Go through the land, describe it according to the inheritance of them, and they shall come again to you. So the thought is, how long are you going to wait? As the children of Israel finally began to take possession of their inheritance, I want you to sit back and watch this. We find that there are seven tribes that for some reason, uh, in particular, Gary, have failed to receive their inheritance. We must realize today that when the Bible says they had not yet received their inheritance, what that actually is saying is that they had failed to drive out the enemy. Is that right? Now watch this. Scripture plainly tells us, Wayne, they had not received it. You've got to hear these words. They had not yet received it. 
It's not saying they had not inherited it. It didn't say that. It said that they had not yet received it. It's quite evident that their land, even though promised to them by God, a revival promised to them by God, church growth promised to them by God, a happy marriage promised by God, blessed, amen, and health they promised by God, was still inhabited by people who opposed their right to it. They had inherited it, but they had not yet received it. Am I right, Pastor? So here is something promised to them by God, given in the will as an inheritance, and yet they failed to receive it because of opposition from the enemy. I believe the same problem exists at Victory Fellowship. I'm going to make it personal. Because I'm not at Pine Street. I'm not at the Church of God. Amen. I'm not up here, amen, with Smallwood Church on Vine Mott. I'm right here with you today. I believe there's a problem going on here. There are many of us in this room today that if we would get real honest with ourselves, amen, and pull off our mask and get raw about it, we would have to say without a doubt we are living substandard lives below what God intended for us to live. We are not abiding daily in the spirit of revival all because we have not taken hold or receive the inheritance of God. Tell me I'm wrong, folks. The truth of the fact is to possess their land. That meant putting the enemy in his place. Now, a large part of putting the enemy in his place, listen to me, is denying him total access to yours. You're not getting in this ring. No, you're not getting in my marriage. No, no, you're not getting in my health. You're not getting in my body. And you're sure not getting in my mind. Because you're not going to inundate me with stinking thinking for the next 25 years of my life and blame myself for why misery is going. You're not getting in my life. You're not getting in my house. You're not getting in my home. You're not getting in my church. I mean, my God has already got in the heart, so let's go on wet. Thoughtful next. Come on, guys. It's going to take more than Mama saying no. Huh? I mean, I could say a few more things, amen, about leadership around here, amen, in the city. But I won't go there. I'll just keep moving right along, amen. It's slowly creeping itself in, guys. And if we're not careful, the next thing you know, you turn around, amen, and it's some bit out of, bite out of your tree, too. The truth of the fact of it is, we've got to look at this and understand. A large part of putting the devil in his place is denying him access to ours. So what, and, amen, who is the enemy? It's the devil. It's so convenient, amen, to blame it all on him, isn't it? Amen, for 25 years of my life, you go to church. Churches are always blaming the devil. They're blaming the devil for this and blaming the devil for that. And listen, it's not the devil I'm referring to that's the enemy. The greatest enemy to revival is flesh. Not the devil. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on scorpions and serpents and over all the power of the devil. And nothing shall by any means harm you. Either that's the truth or it's a blatant lie. So we know it's not a lie because it's the word of God. So it's got to be the truth. So if I've got total power, you know, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yet I look around today and the gates of hell is prevailing against the churches. It's prevailing against America. It's prevailing against our homes, our marriages, our ministries. What went wrong? It's not the devil. we got power over the devil. But I don't have power over your flesh. I can't make you love him. I can't make you submit. I can't make you come to an altar, amen, and get it right with God. I can't make you pass up a dollar bill to reach for 20. Come on, guys. I can't make you go say, I'm sorry, I forgive you. I can't make you get on your face and pray. I can't make you turn your cell phone off. I can't make you do these things. These are the things, amen, that have brought about the condition we have in America today, amen, because, amen, we have failed to put the flesh in its place. This land, this new chapter belonged to the children of Israel. They had a revival by inheritance of God, by right of inheritance, by divine promise, by form of written consent. God's will, but it was occupied and dominated by the enemy. Go, guys. When Ephesians 4.27 tells us, neither give place to the enemy, Paul meant it. You want to know why he meant it? Because the enemy, the flesh, will not only occupy, but he will eventually dominate as well. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will I forgive their sins and heal their land. So why the resistance and the coldness to the cry of revival? 
For some of you right now today, you're already turned off. Three-quarters of this congregation staring me down, amen, hungry for a move of God. You're looking to me, amen, with anticipation and expectation, but I'm slowly watching one by one. Check out this morning already. Why the coldness? Why being turned off to the idea of what I'm talking about? Because I'll tell you why. We refuse to confront and really deal with the enemies of revival. The Bible just gave us the recipe to revival. If we will humble ourselves, humility, number one, you've got takes humility to have revival. Then if we got to pray. You got on it a while ago to have revival. Amen. We listen. We the truth of the Amen. We have to pray and we have to seek his face. We've got to do that. Not seek a handout. Not seek a cold chill. Amen. Not seek a little brokenness. Not seek the marriage get fixed. I'm talking about seeking you first the kingdom of God. Seek his face and then turn from our wicked ways. These are the four necessary components. That's the recipe to having a nation, amen, that's healed and whole and complete and fruitful. Right? So listen. Listen. If you're going to have revival, you've got to deal with the enemies of revival. What are the enemies of revival? The opposite of the four things required for revival. So therein lies the problem. It's a well-known passage often used to talk about the subject of revival, our inheritance, or a new chapter in life. This verse was spoken to Solomon after he dedicated the temple. This is a promise, Troy, for revival, for a new chapter, for those that turn from sin, call on the Lord, and walk in His ways. There's a difference, Pat, between having a meeting and having a revival. Series of meetings leaves us worn out, broken, in the same old condition as we were. But a revival is just that, a revival. It revives us from death to life. Amen. The song comes alive. You can't can't just sing a verse and a chorus. You gotta sing it for 20 minutes. Come on. People start getting out of their seats and come to the altars where the invitations even given. Half the time the preacher don't even get to preach. Amen. People in the soundboard don't even dismiss children's church anymore because they all let out in the middle of the aisle. Amen. Little shoulders just to bounce out. Little girls start living right. Little boys start acting right. I'm talking about a revival. Amen. Your mayor gets delivered. The chief. Amen. Gets things right. Amen. Everything is about all of a sudden. Amen. They just they turn us a cold finger to hearts and say don't Bring your alcohol to Fawful. Churches start coming together. Amen. We start having revival at Fawful High School. I'm talking about a revival in this city. Why not you? Why not here? And why not now? Why not? Don't have to be Brownsville, Florida. My personally, it's me personally, no matter how effective. I can't produce a revival, no matter how much passion I bring to Fawful. But I can meet the requirements for revival. Let me say that again. I can't produce a revival, but I can meet the requirements for revival. And then God will send exactly what he said he would do. God tells us in this passage what prevents and hinders revival. So let's get started. This verse is directed to God's people. He says, if my people, Victory Fellowship, which is called by my name, and I do believe this church is ordained of God, even way back then. Come on, guys. Even after you're gone, brother, and God promotes you, amen, I believe, amen, that, that there's a call of God to continue right on with Victory Fellowship. I believe this ministry is ordained of God. I believe this ministry, amen, is biblically sound. I believe, amen, it's ran and operated with integrity and character. You guys wouldn't hang around, amen, if he was so crooked he screwed his socks on. Come on, amen, hello, amen. Amen, the truth of the fact of it is there's good people here. I believe there's potential in this house. But can I just get raw and honest with you? I'm sick and tired of seeing it up and down, up and down, up and down, and I know you are as well, brother. Amen. It's got to be frustrating. People get up here, amen, and they're gone. Amen. People get out there, and then they're gone. They come in and say, we're going to hang in here with you. We're here for the long run. Amen. We're here for the long haul. Amen. And as soon as something don't sit right with them, they're in the car and hit the road. I'm tired, amen, of a thermo- th- thermometer church. Amen. It's time for a therm- thermostat church. Amen. A thermometer, amen, is up one day and down the next, but a thermostat is set steadfast at the hand of its master. Amen. It's unyielding and unbudging. Amen. It's steadfast. Fast and unmovable. That's what we need today is stability, spiritually speaking. Where's the fire anymore? Where's the passion anymore? Where are those folks that show up in the parking lot just waiting for somebody to stick a key in the door? Now you come crawling in at the last blooming minute. It ain't that you're running late today, it's that you're always running late. Last one here and the first one out. No passion, no joy, no victory. Got to be discipled to give. Got to be encouraged to come. Have a revival Monday night. Can't have that. Nobody will show up. But let there be a ball game. Amen. You'll be down there eating a dill pickle. Amen. A cheeseburger and a hot dog. Hello. Passion. Where's it at anymore? Time to stir the pot. It says if my people, 
not to the lost, not the alcoholics, not the drug addicts and thoughtful, but if my people, Victory Fellowship, lost folks don't need a revival. Lost folks need to get saved. Big difference. So the first enemy of revival, and this will go quickly. The first enemy of revival, anybody want to take a shot what it is? Pride. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Now, I want to think today that I'm not the only one in the house who needs a good lesson on pride. I want to think there's a few of you, amen, that could use a little adjustments as well. So just let me keep thinking that, okay? Pride is the number one enemy of revival. The phrase, will humble themselves, deals with the area of pride. There's too much pride at Victory Fellowship. I'm going to say it, guys. I'm making it personal today, and that's the risk of ticking some of you off, especially when you're saving the offering to last. <laughs> well, I was going to give him a little bit, but you know what? The heck with him. Amen. I think we need to leave at 12 noon. Right? Right? Who's he think he is? Who's this guy? Right? Uh, why is he so loud? And I'm up here wondering why you're so blooming quiet. Come on. Amen. Right? You turn it up, I'll turn it down. We'll all be happy. How about that? You know what pride means? Pride means to rise or swell up. It speaks of people thinking more of, oh, boy, this busted me, man. Golly, I put this down. I was like, God, really? This got me right here. This hit me. It speaks of people thinking more of themselves, their opinions, their ideas, their agendas, than they do God's. Pride. Is that right? Pride. Pride says, I don't need God. I don't need to pray every day. I don't need to read my Bible often or seek earnestly for God's direction. I don't have to come back on Sunday night and even go to the altar just because I'm asked to. I can make my own way. I'll call the shots. That's pride. So when you don't pray like you should pray, why? I, mean, he brought, I didn't start this. He did a while ago when he was talking about amen. No, he lit the fuse on this. We talked about, he read that statistic where amen, most, most Christians, true Christians pray less than a minute of the day. Why don't we pray more than that? Pride. The reason why we don't pray and seek him is because we really think we don't need him. I can do this myself. Don't look at me like that. It's the truth. You know it's the truth. If we really couldn't walk without him holding our hand, we'd get to talking to him a little more. But the reason we don't is because I really don't need him holding my hand. I can do this myself. I got this. Then it all falls apart. God! Right? That's pride. Pride says I don't need God. We've, we won't admit that. Oh, brother, i got to have God. But we don't reflect it in how we live our lives. I hope you guys are hearing this today. We've adopted the layout of sin mentality. Revelation 3.17, I'm rich, increased with goods, and I don't need nothing. We've learned to function without the help of the Lord. We have learned, am I right, Pat? We have learned, brother. We, I didn't say y'all, I said we. I'm in the same boat with you this morning. We have learned to, I've done this for half of my life in the pulpit, and I'll just be honest with you guys. Let me, without sounding arrogant, you know my heart, Brother Carol, so you have to defend me if somebody thinks I'm being arrogant when I say this, because I'm not. But I've learned how to preach. I mean, you've done this for 20-something years. I got a gift to preach. I learn, I know how to read people. I know I've learned how to operate a service, and if it ain't off the ground, I'll get it off the ground. If I can't do it this, I'll go to the piano, right? I've learned. So I have to be careful that I don't come to the pulpit with the arrogance that, God, I can do this with or without you. It's whatever your choice is. Come on, guys. And I think there's been times in 20-something years, I know there's been times. I'm going to get you to pull your mask off. I'll be the first to rip mine off. There have been times I came to the pulpit, preached my guts out. I didn't pray before I preached. I didn't study before I preached. I didn't fast before I preached. What am I doing, Brother Carol? I'm doing it without him. Because I've done it before and had fruit. Right? Come on, guys. Look at me. This is the truth. I've done it before and got by with it. So why should I do it again? You have to be careful that we don't get up here on the platform and sing about a mountaintop. We're not even living on ourselves. We have to be careful. When we compare ourselves to the world, we look pretty good. We've learned to function without the help of the Lord, and it's destroyed the power of the church. It's destroyed the power of the Baptist church, the Pentecostal church, and all of the denominations as well. Amen. Lay us today down beside the church in the early church, and we're in sad shape. God hates pride. It's listed first in the seven things God hates. Proverbs 6.16 says, Yea, six things of the Lord hate, and seven is an abomination unto Him. And the very first one is a proud look. The evidence of pride in your life is this. 
Number one, here we go. Pride refuses to listen, always interrupts others. Oh, me. I'm the biggest interrupter in the house. My wife giggled and Wayne scratching his arm. Am I right, Daddy? I am. I, and I know I am. And I never looked at that as being pride, Brother Carol. I never looked at that as being pride. But you know what it means when me and Wayne's having a dialogue, as we were doing the other day, having a conversation, Wayne said, well, I was going to say before you interrupted me. Okay? Right. I never looked at that, though, as being pride. But you know what I'm saying to Wayne? What I've got to say is far more important than what you've got to say. That's pride. I never looked at it like that. Shut up. And listen, my biggest gripe my kids have with me is, Daddy, you never listen. We left the house this morning. Wendy says, if you will, baby, roll, roll the windows down. Just, or did you get that propane tank out of the back seat of the car? Let's crank the car up, put it in reverse. Uh, excuse me, what? Did you get the propane? Well, I didn't know you had one. I just told you. You never listened to me. Okay. So, so then we get to Jack's this morning to get a biscuit, and she don't listen to me. <laughs> huh? What was I doing? I'm sitting back like a shark waiting for my to take a bite out of her. Wait for her. Why? I want to equal the match. Why? Pride. I want to show you you just as messed up as I am. Why? Because it makes me look good now that you stink just as bad as I do. Right? Pride, guys. I didn't realize I had so stinking much in my life. Because I'm not the type of guy that runs around trying to be arrogant all the time, talking about myself. I meet other people I can't, can't stand them. And yet I'm one of those that they can't stand, that can't listen either, always interrupts. Because what I have to say, and you know the excuse I've always used? Oh, isn't this a typical excuse for a male? Okay? All males listen. Well, I'm afraid if I don't say it right now, I forget it. I've always said that. So I have sold myself a lie, and I bought it. Hands down. Well, the reason why I butt in on everybody is because I, I'm afraid I'll forget what I have to say. No. The reason why you butt in on everybody is because you don't want to listen to what they have to say because what you've got to say is more important than what they got to say. And you know what it winds up doing? It doesn't bring about a beautiful dialogue together. It creates frustration of the part because all they can do to hang around you is have to shut up and listen to you run your mouth. Right? Boy, I'm preaching good at our sister Wendy. Am I doing a good job, sweetheart? That's awesome. Amen. Isn't it wonderful? Amen. Yeah. Listen, pride likes to talk about itself all the time. Pride has an intense desire to be noticed, often cloaks itself in the spirit of religion. It's often noticed very easily as it likes to be the loudest one praying in the room and often sounds like the most spiritual as well. Pride believes that it deserves everything it gets, therefore it's often ungrateful. Pride cannot be corrected, does not like to follow instructions, and is not easily advised without being quickly offended. Well, can, can, can I tell you something? Oh, really? Huh? Ladies, that was for you? It's only fair. I've picked on the men enough. Pride, watch this, pride thinks of its own needs first. The illustration is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was on an airplane and was standing up in the aisle talking, laughing, entertaining the passengers. Finally, the stewardess came back to him and said, Sir, Mr. Ali, you'll have to take your seat and fasten your seatbelt because the plane's about to take off, sir. Muhammad Ali looked at her with a snarl and said, Honey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked back at Muhammad Ali and said, Yes, sir, Superman don't need no airplane either. So sit down, shut up, and buckle up. <laughs> right? Pride, brother, pride. God's people need to realize we were nothing when he found us. We were now nothing now that he has. And we can accomplish nothing neglecting and avoiding him. John fifteen five. For without me you can do nothing. I had to put this in there, Brother Carol. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. Gary, immediately he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course ten degrees south. Promptly a return message was received. No, sir, you alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered because his command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. 
Soon another message was received. No, sir. Uh, Captain, you alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman third class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message knowing the fear it would evoke. You better alter your course, buddy, 10 degrees south. You don't know it, but I'm a battleship. Then a reply came back. No, sir, you alter your degrees 10 north, amen. You don't know it. I am a lighthouse. Pride! Is that all right? Pride. And how often in our lives that's how we are. But God, let me tell you something. God says, you know, don't even open your mouth. Pride. If we will humble ourselves, we'll have a revival. Number two, prayerlessness is the enemy of revival. I thought I had a come apart a while ago when he got on this. He didn't save me much left here, amen. So take what I got and what he said, put it together, and it'll be a good message, all right? Prayerlessness. If my people which are called my nation home with themselves and pray. But the carrier, you're exactly right. God's house has never been referred to in the Bible, correct me if I'm wrong, as a house of singing. It's never been referred to in the Bible as a house of preaching. Not once you ever find it was referred to as a house of teaching, yet it's important. You don't find it going to the house of teaching. It's not the house of giving. It's always been referred to as the house of prayer. God's people are called to pray. Prayerlessness is first cousin to pride. Prayerlessness says, I don't need to call on the Lord. I can fix this myself. Prayerlessness relies on self. Trust is on its own resources. Becky, listen, we can, listen, we can pray and not have a revival, but we can't have a revival and not pray. Can I say that again? We can, we can pray and then not have a revival, but you cannot have a revival and not pray. We don't have a revival because we lack powerful preaching. Oh no. It's not spiritual ignorance that's got us in such a mess. We are not lacking teaching. One of the best teachers I've ever been around in my life. We know very well what we need to be doing. And we even know how to do it. We can't ask him to make this any simpler than he already has. It's not because we don't have huge choirs and a stage full of musicians. Amen. We don't have revival. No. You can't blame it on the fact that, amen, that all we have is a guitar player and a piano player. No. You can't even do that. Amen. We don't have revival because we don't pray. That's exactly the truth. Charles Finney said prayer is the essential link in the chain of events that leads to revival. He ought to know. Charles Finney. Brownsville Assembly of God prayed several years earnestly for revival. Four straight years every day. And on Father's Day, busted loose. Am I right? One of the greatest revivals America in my age has ever known was Brownsville, Florida. Pastor John Kilpatrick, Lyndall Cooley, amen, Steve and Hill. What an amazing combination. Listen to me. The truth is, amen, they would tell me that Steve Hill would go to the pulpit every night of that revival and preach no more than 20 minutes, if he preached any at all. Because there was such an expectation of people waiting in line, amen, for hundreds of yards just to get inside that place, inside that church, just to get in. Their expectation level was so out of the roof, amen, that it didn't take prayer. The reason why we didn't take preaching. The reason why we preach is to encourage people, exhort people, and stimulate people and motivate people to get to an altar where you can get altered, right? Come on, amen. That's the reason why we preach is to bring you understanding of your need to repent or bring conviction of your need to get closer to God. But when you show up with an expectation, you already can't wait to get near God. There's very little preaching that's even needed, brother. That's why there'll be no preaching in heaven, amen. We, they, we made it, right? The truth is, amen, listen, we pray two times a week at best and expect visitations of angels and supernatural miracles to break out in our lives. How bad do you really want your inheritance, church? How bad does Victory Fellowship want a new chapter? How bad do you want a revival? How bad? We've got to come to the place where we sacrifice our pride on God's altar. Declare our utter helplessness. Clinging to Him until God sends revival. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people which are called my name shall humble themselves, pray. Thirdly, seek my face. Here's a big one. Wrong priorities are the enemy of revival. You're either seeking Him or you're seeking something different. And you know what you're seeking? 
I'll tell you exactly where you're seeking. You are seeking where most of your time is spent. And where most of your time is spent is why you're seeking that is because that's what's priority to you. So, number one, we have to humble. Number two, we have to spend time in the presence of God. And then it comes down to what our priorities are in life. What you seeking? What you running after? What motivates you? What turns you on? What gets you excited? You know what? God's people are told to seek His face. It's a call for God's people to stop looking for help and purpose in every other thing in life. God is to be our primary focus, our number one priority. And we know that, guys. But listen, revival doesn't come to people who seek revival. Yet that's what most every church I'm going to is doing right now. They're seeking revival, expecting a revival by seeking revival. They go buy steps on five steps to a Brownsville revival. You don't need five steps to a Brownsville revival. You just need to do one thing Brownsville did, amen, pray. Right? Seek his face. Humble yourselves. People are hung up on what God can do for them. Seeking his face means that we hunger for him more than for what we can do for us. The essence of genuine revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. I came home last night, and, and I've been going all week long up in Tennessee doing an eradication deer program for a farmer up there. That's just a fancy way of saying we killed, went on hunting. <laughs> all right? Amen. Uh, that's just a really fancy, political correct way of saying we went and killed some deer this week. All right? It was really cool riding around Fayetteville. All of us in camouflage, got rifles hanging in the back window, got a four-wheeler, six coolers on the back of it, three deer, two deer hangers, amen, blood all over my hat, all over my clothes, amen. Amen. I'm riding everybody's going, what are y'all hunting this time of year? Deer? What? Yeah. yeah we, how you doing that? Game warden told us to. 90% crop damage. If we don't get in there and clean them deer out, amen, ain't going to have no crop. So we had unlimited permits to July the 2nd, spotlight at night, the whole nine yards. And those so I've been going all week long in Tennessee, amen, doing a deer eradication program up there. And I missed my wife this week. And I was with her, amen, for, for 10 days prior to that. We went off together, amen, and we were there all day, all night, the whole time we were gone. You would think she'd got sick of me. I got sick of her. But this week, that's all I've thought about. I've missed her. I couldn't wait to get home last night. I got home, amen, laying in the bed. She's laying over there on that little couch thing we got in our bedroom, and she's reading. And I looked over, and I said, you, I love you so much. I, Wendy, I have never in my life loved you more than I love you right now. And she said, you know what? She said, I think it's so sweet. She said, we big buddies, aren't we? Yes, we're buddies. Been married, amen. This coming weekend, we've been married, amen. 21 years. I thank God. 22 years. I thank God for that, amen. I thank God for the fact of it that here we are 22 years into a marriage and we're closer today than we've ever been before in our life. And I watch so many folks go to Cracker Barrel and Outback and go to these steakhouse and stuff and, and they sit there and one's looking this way and one's looking that way and they've lost connection. They've lost dialogue. They're on their cell phones, mama, playing with this and playing with that. They can't look at one another. They, when's the last time the look across the table and held hands and say, you know what? I love you more than Becky loves him. Hello, right? Come on. Amen. I'm talking about where's the honeymoon anymore? You can still be honeymooning 20 years into a marriage. I'm living proof of that. It's awesome, guys. She isn't just my lover. She isn't just my wife. She isn't just my friend. She's my bad. We just, I just love her so much. And where is that fire for God like that? Where is your number one priority? I love to hunt. I love to fish. I, 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 I love outdoors, but I'm going to tell you something. I love preaching. I love winning souls, but I got to be honest with you. I love that girl right there, buddy. There's very few things in life. I love my kids, but my kids one day might go down a driveway and their taillights will fade. We started together. We'll end it together. She's my buddy. If you really listen, you were really honest today. What is the number one priority in your life? Get honest, guys. You ain't got to confess that out to me. Is it your job? Oh, you're going to go to work. You, you, you. No, it ain't, it ain't that the boss makes you go to work. Some of you just addicted to work. I, I don't think that's a bad quality. We're supposed to work. But we're not to be obsessed with it. Because the money is good or perhaps because that's where our real family is? Because we spend more time there than we do at home? Hello, guys. Is it your bank accounts or your retirement? Is it your family? None of these things, none of these things are wrong in of, the, in of themselves, okay? But they are if they're our motive and number one drive in life. Is it your church? As good as that is, Brother Carol, it can't take priority. 
There's a lot of folks that's locked into a lifetime routine. They're going to be here Sunday for church, come hell or high water. Doesn't matter. They're going to be here. But does God have that guarantee you're going to be there every day of your life? Are we as addicted and obsessed and locked in the tradition of routine to coming to Him every day of our lives as we are? It's just what we... You know how it is. There was nothing on your mind yesterday about being anywhere else besides church. It shouldn't have been. It's just what we do on Sundays. It's just what... Are you getting that? This is just what we do on Sundays. We don't go to trade day. We don't go to the river. We don't play in the garden. Amen. We don't hang out. No. This is just... It's what we did growing up. I just knew Sunday mornings was church. Sunday night was church. Wednesday night was church. There was no asking. There was no telling. There was no options. There was no... No. No, no. There wasn't... Listen. It's just what we do. Why are we locked into that same routine when it comes to praying, spending time with God? Is it your spouse? Is she more of a buddy to me than Jesus? Can I share things with her I've never talked to him about? Think about this, guys. This is real. Is it your hobbies? Is it work that needs to be done around the house, comes first before spending time alone with God? Is your priorities in life your problems and heartaches? People make that priority a lot of times. You ever get around them and ask them how they're doing? (laughs) You won't do that again, will you? Right? Hello? Huh? Yep. Used to have an aunt, Troy, ask her how she was doing, amen. I learned real quick not to do that again because by the time she answered that, after 45 minutes of talking about everything that's wrong in her world, I just want to find a bridge and jump off of it and sing that old song, I believe I could fly. Right? I believe I could touch the sky. Dream about it every night and day. Huh? Spread my wings and fly away. Listen. I mean, some people just make a career out of their problem. It's their priority. You know I'm right. They cannot wait for somebody to pull the trigger so they can get you to feel sorry for them. So their priority in life is their problems and their heartaches. Is your priority sports or hobbies? You're quicker to get to a ball field than you are to get to revival? I believe that's the case in America. That's why pastors have few revivals anymore. Because if we book a revival, ain't nobody going to show up. Hmm. Honestly, is it the Lord? When anything, listen, anything but God is top priority in our lives, revival will not come. And I'm ending here. When God is number one, things he cares about are things I care about. When God is number one, what interests him, it interests me. What makes him happy is what I pursue. And I don't do it because I have to. I do it because I want to. What has his attention will have my attention. It's good, brother. This is simple, but it's rich. What breaks his heart will break my heart as well. It becomes my will, whatever his will. If you really want to know what your priorities are, ask yourself three questions. Here we go. Number one, what activities do you spend most of your time on? Number two, what do you spend the bulk of your money on? And number three, what do you focus your thoughts on? Look at where you go, what you do, and what you spend your money on. Do that, and you'll have a good idea of your priorities in life, and you will then know exactly where, when, and how God fits in to your world. And then you'll know why you're either having revival or not having revival. Is this okay today, guys? I've tried to make you laugh a little bit because this is a cut. This is a throat cutter. Lastly, if my people which are called my name shall turn from their wicked ways. Presumptuous sin is the enemy of revival. God's people are told to turn from their wicked ways. Sin keeps us out of the presence of God. The Bible says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Hypocrisy in America, listen, Gary, needed more money for schools, we legalized gambling. Need to stop teenage pregnancy, so we passed out condoms and opened abortion clinics. Do this. I'm not politically correct. I'm going to call it what it is, baby. Okay? Need to stop the spread of AIDS so we practice safe sex. Need to lower the divorce rate so we just shack up with each other nowadays and go right on to church like nothing's wrong. No longer do we need to practice commitment, true love, and devotion, work out our problems together, and finally live in harmony. Just friends with benefits has become the new norm. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of God's word and called it pluralism. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. 
We complain about 58 murders in Las Vegas by a lunatic in a window, but say nothing about 60 million murdered in the same name of equality at the expense of women's rights. We have neglected to discipline our children and call it building self-esteem. We call it not separating children from their parents, amen, and the liberal media, amen, and liberals themselves, amen, that want to put Hillary in the office. And if I'm talking to you right now, I'm happy about it. Amen. Wind up, amen, want to complain about being separated kids from their, from the parents. Yet, amen, not one of them complain about the fact that amen of drugs in this nation, amen, separates kids from parents. DUIs, drunken driving, separates kids from parents. When parents are sent off to jail because of laws, amen, amen, that the liberals either pass or not pass. Come on, folks, it's the truth. Just shake your head, yeah. Amen. Man, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyhow. Amen. It's simply because, amen, they're not complaining about that. Amen. They ain't complaining about all the children that separate eternally from their parents in Chicago. Amen. Because of Rahm Emanuel. Hello. The truth of the fact of it is, amen, we don't listen. The truth is we're really not concerned about kids being separated from their parents. Amen. It's just selective politics. And if you've got a problem with that, I'll be glad. Love it. Jump up and down to talk to you when church is over. Light my fuse, baby. We have stopped preaching repentance and started preaching grace and mercy as to not offend anybody anymore so our churches will grow. We neglected the discipline and tear our kids' tail up and called it building self-esteem. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with vulgar profanity and called it freedom of speech. We've allowed mental-minded morons to dishonor our flag, our nation, and our amazing veterans by refusing to stand up and honor the flag and national anthem and called it a constitutional right. Now we have a nation filling up with misfits still living in their mother's basement, ridiculing the time-honored values of our forefathers and burning the American flag, slapping veterans right in the face, stripping our schools of the Pledge of Allegiance, knocking down historical monuments, and now we call it enlightenment. And those who would, would, would disagree with the liberal media are nothing but bigots. That's you and I. But a bigot I am then, baby. Because the truth of the fact of it is, amen, if it's right, I'll stand for it. And if it's wrong, I'll condemn it. And I'm telling you, amen, am I wrong for screaming that God can't bless a mess? Am I wrong for feeling that way? We're quick with our excuses. Quick to rationalize our sins. But we're slow to fall before the Lord, confess our sins, and repent. Am I the only one who sees the desperation and need for revival in Fall, Alabama? I don't think so. This is the same message he's been preaching, guys, for three weeks. It's the same message. It's just from an evangelistic perspective. You see the difference in the callings? Aren't you grateful for Brother Carol? <laughs> oh, they're going to love on you good when I'm going, brother. Oh, come here, Pastor. Brother, when my wife and I just want to send you and your mom out for supper tonight. Why? Because you got rid of that preacher and didn't have him Monday night. Come on, amen. Right? Thank you for not booking him for a week-long revival, right? Hello, right? <laughs> you don't feel that way about me, I know. Do you? We need revival right here in Faultful, but revival won't come until people turn from their wicked ways right here in this building. A new chapter will only come to those who get honest about their sin, confess, and forsake them. And I got three more pages, but I'm going to give you mercy. I hear Cracker Barrel calling. Just play it. It's not necessary. My point's been made, and I'm learning, amen. When your point's made and made it clear, stop. Nothing else you're going to say make it any clearer. They get it. They get it. Nothing else is needed. They get it. And you got it. If we're going to have revival, we're going to have to deal with the enemies of revival. Pride. Prayerlessness. 